We were swimming over a desert of sand, as far as we could see, about 20 or 30 feet. And then I suddenly realised that Dick was not there. I turned around and swam back to find him. He was sat on the sand with his legs apart, his diving mask off, building sandcastles in the sand. I realised immediately he was suffering from lichen narcosis. Aquanaut. My adventures and misadventures in the early days of scuba diving off the Cornish coast. Written and read by me, James Wheeler. Well, to continue over my club diving, um, there were a number of shipwrecks in Mounts Bay and um, one of the, the, the nicest ones I remember diving on uh, in the earlier days was a Greek steamship. Uh, she was called the Heliops and she was actually 2,700 and plus tons. Quite a big ship. And uh, the uh, history is very clear that she struck the Runnelstone Rock one day in fog and tried to limp into Penzance Bay uh, before sinking um, where she sank in the bay in a hundred feet of water, uh, completely intact. So the, with the diving club, we were, were to make many, many dives on the Heliops. And later on, when I started professional diving, we, I dived on her again many times and got a lot of copper pipe off her. And when they come back to this first dive on the Heliops, um, it was a, a tricky day. I remember the visibility on the land uh, was not good and um, of course we had to find the location. She's about two and a half miles out in the bay so it was quite a motor out in the inflatable dinghy and it was a bit of a lumpy day. The sea was not kind to us but we managed it and uh, by sheer luck Bob who was with me was very good at getting landmarks and he leveled up Gulville Church Tower with a 90-degree angle to Paul Church Tower uh, um, on, the, on the coast. And um, we were dead lucky. Uh, when we got over the side and dropped down into the wreck, we found the anchor dropped right in the middle of the wreck. So that was a very accurate uh, um, shot by the anchor by Bob. So I jolly good, jolly good for him to be able to do it. So I remember following Bob down the, the anchor hand over hand, and um, the visibility was not good that day underwater. I would say only about 8 to 10 feet. So it was not possible to see the ship from end to end. It was too big. We swam down the stern and Raymond Dennis was, was behind me. And it was, it was a bit spooky because the bow of the ship sticking up at such a height was very ghostly. And uh, as if she'd just been sat there, um, you know, <clears throat> from sudden death. On reaching the stern of the ship, we found a huge four-bladed propeller. And it was so huge. And of course, the first thing you do as a diver when you reach a propeller is to take out your diving knife, scrape the blade, praying that it's going to be bronze. But in fact, it was a disappointment. It was an iron propeller. If it was bronze, of course, it would have been worth a small fortune. But to give you some idea of scale, I said it was a four-bladed propeller, 
and the fourth blade had buried itself in the mud. And Raymond uh, stood on the the centre of the of the uh, end of the propeller shaft, and I stood on his shoulders and put my arm up, and I could not reach the top part of the blade. So that meant it was an absolutely enormous blade, enormous propeller. So Raymond was six feet. I was not far short, and put my arm up. It's probably nine feet, so probably an eighteen-foot diameter propeller. So it must have been huge. It was an amazing dive, um, because it was a hundred feet. It was very cold. I remember that day. It usually is at a hundred feet, and um, we swam around the other side of the wreck, uh, hoping to see a lot more of it. But our time was up. We'd done. 15-20 minutes and we had a resurface during decompression otherwise we would have been in difficulties so that was my first dive on a what you might call a complete wreck she was huge and quite spooky as if you expect to see the, the captain still in the bridge looking out with his gold braided cap I dived many times with the club on the Heliops and each time you found something new I remember one of the last times with a club dive, the decking of the Heliops, had, some of it had collapsed. So it was a good visibility that day. And I was able to swim down into the engine room and discover that the, the two boilers were in amazing condition since she'd gone down in 1911. And um, it was quite interesting to get inside her and see the scale of the, of the ship. On another dive, much later, with, on the Heliops, I managed to struggle and <clears throat> remove a large port, porthole. Um, and it was all intact, minus the glass, which must have fallen out. I still have this today. I'm going to pass it on to my son, James. So that's my first experience diving on the wreck of the Greek ship, the Heliops. Another smaller, smaller wreck, which I dived on many times in Mounts Bay with the club, was the wreck of the Primrose. And um, she was a small coal boat on the way to Newlin Harbour back in 1911. In fact, she struck the Lowly Reef about a mile off um, on the 3rd of August 1906. In fact, not 1911, 1906. And when we first found her, we discovered that only the bow section still remained and we found out later that salvage hard hat divers in the 1930s had actually salvaged quite a lot of the wreck but it was an interesting dive because as far as marine life is concerned it was absolutely stunning the, the, the white large dead man's fingers covering the whole of the wreck like a huge white snowballs with their <coughs> tentacles floating in, in, in the movement of the, of the water. It was a fantastic sight, and Raymond Dennis photographed it many times because it was such a beautiful spot for sea life. I remember on my first dive there, we found an iron cannon between the rocks, and uh, disappointing again, of course, like most divers, you scrape the cannon with your knife, and if rust comes off, it's not bronze. If it's bronze, of course, it's worth a lot of money. And later, we discovered that outside Penzance 
reference library, um, there was a bronze cannon there, and that was the one that they salvaged. I was actually removed from the lowly reef. So, so um, obviously there must have been an older ship, 18th century ship wrecked there in the past, but long before the primrose ever sank. So that transpired, manifested itself when we were down below on the primrose on my first dive. I found several cannonballs and quite a lot of musket shot. So someone, uh, some other ship or other had, had wrecked there before, probably a long time ago. And then the most extraordinary thing were hundreds and hundreds of yellow, bright red and yellow fire bricks. So she must have had a cargo of, of fire bricks or whether they were used as ship's ballast, we'll never know. So clearly a number of wrecks had hit the lowly reef in Mounts Bay. And uh, quite an interesting dive, mainly from the point of view of the wonderful sea life that we saw. Dived on the reef many times, but that was my first dive on the, on the, on the primrose. Actually, there's a rider to that story of my first dive on the Lowly Reef. Um, because I think I mentioned earlier that uh, a bronze cannon had been removed by the hard hat divers back in the 1930s when they salvaged the, the Primrose. And it was placed outside the Penzance Reference Library, the top of Marg Road in Penzance, in the town. And it was there all my, all my life, young life living in Penzance. I always remember the cannon because it had Spanish, Spanish um, uh, writing on it, and uh, it was a, a lovely cannon, a beautiful cannon. Must have weighed about two tons. And then, strangely enough, the last time I was in Penzance about two years ago, I went down to the library and discovered that the cannon had been stolen. I went and saw the the uh, librarian. She said it was stolen on a Sunday night, one winter's night, in the dark night and it was stolen, never to be found again, I guess. But it was definitely Spanish, and as we know, the Spanish invaded Mausol back in the 17th century, so who knows, it's probably one of the off a Spanish ship wrecked on the lowly. It's a good point to to mention here that um, while diving on these wrecks, diving off the coast of Cornwall um, is not like diving in the Mediterranean or the Indian Ocean, where you have a you know hundred foot visibility. That's not the case in Cornwall. Uh, only on rare occasions, usually in the winter in February, when all the plankton and sea life floating in the water has died off, and you get clearer visibility. But then, of course, you've got the increased hazard. Of the intense cold. Another point I want to raise about diving off the Cornish coast is that the problem which is so peculiar to Cornwall is called ground sea and uh, it can be very very difficult to dive in ground sea. Because of the continental shelf when the movement of the circular movement of the waves come in the, the, the seabed rises and of course the water doesn't change it just rises with it and causes ground sea. And uh, you heard many stories of anglers 
on the Cornish coast fishing on a rock and suddenly they're swept away. And it's because this ground sea suddenly rises as high as 25 or 30 feet and will sweep them off the rocks. So diving in ground sea, you have absolutely no choice. You can't swim against it, you have to go with it or hang on to some kelp, some thick seaweed or wreckage because it will take you with it and there's not much chance of, uh, of coming out of that without getting badly bruised or even concussed by being smashed against the rocks. So this can happen very suddenly and without any warning. So we learned that in my earlier dives. And by the way, it can happen with even below 30 feet of water. A sudden ground sea will come and lift you right up and carry you forward and you have no chance of uh, resisting it. Another problem which uh, I think you probably don't realise is that the is the one of disorientation. It can happen in poor visibility um, and of course in the Cornish waters I've told you 10, visible, 10 feet visibility was, was quite normal. Beyond that was, was abnormal um, unless it was a very good clear bright day. And so it, swimming in, in, in poor visibility, it's very easy to get disorientated. And one of the, the, the most um, difficult times sometimes is when you're swimming, when you're going down, when you're diving down and you, you're in poor visibility and darkness and you stop to, to equalise the pressure in your ears, um, you suddenly, suddenly, like you're upright all of a sudden and then you can't remember whether to go down or up. You're disorientated. You have nothing to look at to tell you which is up from down. And you have to realise that uh, you have to be calm and watch the exhaust bubbles of your of your mouthpiece and see which the way they're going. If they're going down, you're going the wrong way. So you have to you have to make sure that you don't get disorientated. It can be very easy. It happened to me many times. And um, watching my bubbles, of course, was what you have to do. And all this comes with experience. You just don't know if you're diving upside down or sideways. Um, so that's another hazard. Um, the other one, of course, is uh, when you surface. Now, remember, we've only got a, a little Seacraft rubber dinghy with an outboard motor. And sometimes when you when you dived, you would swim quite a long way from the, the anchor rope on the dinghy. And it could have been as much as two or three hundred yards. And of course, when you surface, it's very rare to find the sea calm. And uh, hopefully the, the person who's left on board the boat will see your surface. And then you've got to swim back along the surface, back to, back to, the, to the boat. And that is not always easy, because sometimes you get a lot of tide and you're trying to swim against it. And I've had so many club dives when I've been exhausted trying to get back to the boat against tide um, when you're surfacing too far from the boat. So that can be a hazard and uh, you have to be very fit to dive um, in Cornwall, among other places of course, but being fit in Cornwall I would think is, is a big must because you never know what, when you're going to have to travel on the surface without any air other than your snorkel. Another hazard of course, um, which I've not mentioned, uh, again I mentioned it from experience, is nitrogen narcosis. And um, 
In other words, the possibility of suffering from the bends, the absorption of too much nitrogen. Because you have to remember that compressed air that we are breathing is, is, is 79% nitrogen and 21% oxygen. So when you're breathing in compressed air, all the nitrogen is absorbed into a liquid, into a, in, it goes from a liquid, from a gas to a liquid, into your bloodstream and into all the joints of your body and your bones, and is absorbed in the fat tissues of your body. So the longer you stay down, you're absorbing excess nitrogen. And of course, that can cause what we call nitrogen narcosis and eventually the bends. So this depends on how long you've been diving and what depth you've been diving at. So we had to calculate all this. We didn't have, in the early 60s, we didn't have sophisticated computers on our wrists to tell us what depth we were at, what compression time we must do before we come out safely, and how much nitrogen has actually been absorbed in our bloodstream, which is what the current divers have today with all this modern technology. We never had that. We had uh, to use Royal Navy diving tables and to be more more safer I suppose more safe we had to use a combination of all three American dive tables Royal Navy dive tables and French Navy dive tables and they're all slightly different so what we used to do when we before we dive we take the the depth we think we're going to go at estimate how long we're going to be down and then calculate the mean of all three of the decompression times on each of the three diving tables. So it was a bit hit and miss and not at all accurate. And of course that meant it was always a risk if we got it wrong that someone would have nitrogen narcosis and have the bends. Now I experienced this with my friend Dick. Um, we were diving off the lizard one day on a club dive and um, I think there were four of us. And I went down with Dick and uh, we found that we, we, we missed the wreck and we're going along just a clear sandy bottom, uh, not much to see, like a desert really, for quite a long way. And I was ahead of Dick, and I suddenly couldn't realise he wasn't next to me. I turned around and found he wasn't in within eye, eyesight. Uh, oh my gosh, where is he? So I swam back, and the found Dick sat on his, on his bum, with his legs apart, with his mask off, his diving mask off, building sandcastles in the sand. I realised immediately he had nitric, nitrogen narcosis. I took, I took his mask, grabbed him, put it back on his face and got him to blow the, the water out of his mask and took him back up slowly to the surface where he recovered at about 20 feet. He began to get back to some kind of uh, sense, sense of sensibility and uh, he began to see that uh, he'd been you know, partly uh, narcotic with the the uh, nitrogen so that that's a danger of the bends and if i hadn't been with him i want to make this point that diving with the club he always dived in pairs or fours and if dick had been on his own that day dick would not have survived he would have died from nitrogen narcosis and uh, we, we managed to uh, get him up pull him out of the water into the boat and um, probably saved his life so uh, I had my own experience of this much later on when I started diving professionally. And I'll come back to that on another episode. So those are the hazards which can go with diving off the Cornish coast. And uh, the, the, my direct experience with Dick uh, 
was was a good learning curve because I realised that we must never ever dive alone, and that rule of the law of the sea of never diving alone, of course, went completely out of the window when we started doing professional diving and took terrible risks. Um, not all our diving course was um, dangerous and risky and, and uh, surprising. We had some amusing times. And uh, I think I've told you we dived on the lowly reef many times with the club. And this particular Sunday morning, we motored out in the inflatable dinghy to dive on the lowly and discovered that there were some sea anglers there with two boats and their rods fishing right above the wreck. Uh, I don't think they were too pleased to see us because, of course, they thought if divers arrive, you frighten the fish away because they know that anglers know that fish fish like to swim around wrecks and there's always a chance of getting some good catches. Well, on this particular day, we thought we'd stay a bit clear of them. We dropped the anchor near the nearer the wreck and down we went about 40 or 50 feet and uh, soon came across their, their fishing lines with bait on the hooks and some coloured coloured bait floating around and they thought well, we better keep clear of those because those hooks are dangerous. Anyway I hadn't swam more than 10 yards and to my astonishment there lying on the, on the rocks was a huge blackjack fish. It must have been nearly a metre long. It was huge. It was decaying. Its eyes were falling out. Its guts had been ripped out. And I thought oh my goodness it suddenly became such a big temptation. Shall I do it or not? So I did. I picked it up and swam back to where the fishing lines were, hooked this dead fish onto his line and pulled the line with my hand as hard as I could. And suddenly, of course, the fisherman, the angler, must have realised that he caught a big a big catch and whipped it up as far as he could. And I remember this dead fish sliding above my head, going rapidly towards the surface. I never had the... Uh, the nerve to uh, the surface and see the man's face, the angler's face, when he landed this fish on board, this, this rotten blackjack fish with its eyes falling out. He must have been horrified and must have known that uh, one of us had attached it to his, uh, to his fishing line. <laughs> when, we, when we surfaced, we surfaced well away, anticipating that they would steam over to us and, and start complaining, but they never did. So, um, you know, I never knew what happened to, to the angler in the end. I thought anybody got a bit of a shock. <laughs> that was an amusing dive, I remember, on the lowly. In my next episode, I want to talk about a diving tragedy where I lost one of my best friends uh, in a diving accident and uh, took a long time to get over it and made us realise how complacent one can be. And then next to that, I want to talk about the time when I nearly lost my life, getting lost inside a wreck. I'm fortunate that I'm still here today thanks to a dear friend who found me. <laughs>